In my genetic counseling practice, which is focused on retinal disease, I talk about gene therapy with patients almost every day. In some fields, we have now a therapeutic odyssey for patients. There's over 200 different inherited retinal disease genes. Welcome to Genotypecast, a new podcast from Gray Genetics. Genetics isn't always black and white. News stories related to genetics often raise more questions than they answer. On Genotypecast, we bring you insight from genetic counselors. I'm your host, Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, an independent telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. Many people might feel like their vision condition or blindness is certainly not something that would they would want to be, quote, fixed or changed, and they don't see why there would need to be a gene therapy. I've had patients straight out ask me how I feel about playing God. Naomi Wagner is a certified genetic counselor specialized in ophthalmology, specifically inherited retinal disorders. She worked for over two years as both a clinical and research genetic counselor at Massachusetts Eye and Ear in the Ocular Genomics Institute and recently started working for Invitae, where she provides telehealth genetic counseling services for ocular conditions. Naomi obtained her Master of Science in Genetic Counseling from Boston University School of Medicine in 2018. She is a co-host of the NSGC podcast series. She is here outside of her professional capacities, and her views don't necessarily reflect those of her employer. Naomi, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. So gene therapy is a big topic. There's often headlines related to gene therapy, and one area of genetics where there's a lot of potential is in ocular genetics, which is something that you have a lot of expertise in. So can you talk to me a little bit about the potential for gene therapy and ocular genetics and just like your perspective on gene therapy more generally? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Um, Ocular disorders and specifically retinal disease is a very exciting area in gene therapy. Turns out exciting timeline with my career as well because I entered into the ocular subspecialty of genetics just months after the FDA approved the first ever directly administered gene therapy uh, for a genetic condition. And that was for an early onset retinal condition or an early onset vision loss condition. And so um, there still is just that one FDA approved therapy in the retinal disease space, but there are other clinical trials as well. Uh, It turns out the retina is especially good for gene therapy. Basically, it's uh, accessible. We can access the eyes with injections or surgeries. The eyes happen to be immune privileged, so they're less likely to have an inflammatory response, which was previously an issue with vector-based gene therapy. Um, And there's a blood ocular barrier, which my understanding is it's somewhat similar to the blood-brain barrier, so it also reduces the chance of non-ocular effects from the gene therapy. So um, in my, it might not be typical for all genetic counselors, but in my genetic counseling practice, which is focused on retinal disease, I talk about gene therapy with patients almost every day. That doesn't mean they're all eligible, but it comes up a lot. And and I like to think about gene therapy and gene-based treatments really broadly. So sort of just like the genetic modification to treat human disease, because when you break it down, there's different approaches to that. So I like to think of it broadly because I hope there will be ultimately multiple different approaches, traditional gene therapies, but also gene editing, RNA technologies like antisense oligonucleotides, cell therapies. And I think genetic counselors could be, should be educated about all these options and might be talking more and more about their patients with various technologies, depending on their specialty. Yeah. And the specific condition you're talking about, is that retinoblastoma? The one with the FDA approved therapy? 
Yeah. So that's an early onset retinal dystrophy, um, often Leber congenital amaurosis. It's it's RPE65 um, is the gene related. It's a recessive um, retinal dystrophy, early onset, often diagnosed as LCA or Leber congenital amaurosis in the one that's approved right now through Spark Therapeutics. Okay. And that's not a very common condition, correct? No, it's not. You know, individually, um, most of the retinal conditions are quite rare. There's over 200 different inherited retinal disease genes. Altogether, the retinal conditions might have an incidence we think of about one in 3,000. So each particular gene is even more rare. Okay. And so that's the only FDA-approved gene therapy currently. Is that right? For retinal disease. There are others. For example, in SMA, there is the Zolgensima AAV-based gene therapy for spinal muscular atrophy as well. Okay. And then within ocular genetics, are there clinical trials available related to other potential gene therapies or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. There are several clinical trials for different forms of gene therapy. Different approaches are used. So I mentioned briefly some of the other approaches. So like I said, I use gene therapy kind of a broad term but some people break it down in the different approaches. So there's gene augmentation trials, which that's where you add, use an AAV vector, an adeno-associated vector used to deliver a full-length copy of a gene. And that is what the the approved Luxterna's Spark Therapeutic FDA-approved therapy, that is the technology they're using. But people may have heard of CRISPR as well. It turns out in the I space that there is the first in vivo CRISPR based therapy is for an inherited retinal disease gene as well. And that started recently for the CEP290 gene. Um, there's also trials using antisense oligonucleotides in the retinal disease space. And so there's a handful of different trials that are ongoing right now and hopefully more to come. And how often are genetic counselors involved in consenting patients for those clinical trials? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm not sure. And I, I hope someone studies that or surveys genetic counselors. I think there have been some student projects and I, I, I'm involved in some student projects. People are starting to ask more about how genetic counselors are involved and you know what patients think about it or where they'd like to receive their information. I know in the retinal disease space, uh, there's only a handful of us in the country, maybe 40 or so genetic counselors touch on retinal disease specifically in their practice. And I think a lot of them are actively talking about the trials or the concept of gene therapy with their patient. Some might actually be involved in the clinical trial team, but some may be more part of that pre-conversation, bringing it up to gauge interest with patients, and then transferring to the team of clinical trial specialists. I definitely think there's potentially a pace for genetic counselors in both of those aspects. I think we're definitely suited to have those initial conversations with patients because it turns out clinical trials are pretty hard to get into. I mean, because there's so many, there's limits on who can participate. There's, you know, genetics is just one component and that's really our specialty is the genetics. So we might be able to help determine genetic eligibility for trials, which I think genetic counselors are often involved in that step, helping assess the genetics to make sure there truly are pathogenic or disease-causing changes that would make someone genetically eligible for a gene-based treatment. But then there's a whole lot of clinical features. Typically, people might need to have in the vision space, they might need to have a certain, certain visual acuity. They need to make sure they don't have certain other health conditions. So I think a big part of the conversation is managing expectations 
where people, our patients are sometimes, you know, not all patients are interested in something like this and being part of a trial or even in a treatment or therapy. But I think for those who are, they can get very excited when they see stuff on 60 Minutes or on the news. Um, And in reality, right now, unfortunately, it's a very small percentage of patients in any genetic field or even in retinal disease who are eligible for a trial or an approved treatment. So genetic counselors, I think, can be really helpful in that conversation, both being hopeful and managing that hope and talking about the excitement of what's to come, but helping manage those expectations so that people kind of understand the timeline that these things take. For for the first approved FDA retinal disease therapy, it took like a decade to go from the initial research through clinical trials to approval. So it's really the long game here for patients. You know, we talk about the diagnostic odyssey. It can take years for patients to get their diagnosis, which hopefully that's decreasing over time as we learn more and have more access to genetic services. But then then in some fields, we have now a therapeutic odyssey for patients. Some patients have a gene for which there is not a lot of research, and so they try to get involved with that and start that process. Or for some patients, there is a lot of research being done, but it's really early stages. So there can also be, and I'm expecting to see more of this therapeutic odyssey or path to um, treatment for patients that genetic counselors could help patients navigate and through that process as well. Do you think is that is there really the ideal place for a genetic counselor to be involved in that in the formal genetic counseling session that happens to lead to the clinical trial or do you think it's important that genetic counselors be involved more specifically in the clinical trials or is it is there just a need because not everyone is going to get to a clinical trial through a genetic counselor obviously they might come through other routes. I think I think we could be everywhere. Um, I think genetic counselors have really broadly applicable skills. So I think it'd be great to see different genetic counselors in different aspects, maybe not the one genetic counselor doing it all. But for example, I think, and I know there is, our genetic counselors doing this, I think there's space for genetic counselors in pharmaceutical companies or in the biotech industry to be on those teams, to be on patient advocate teams. And I know they do exist. Um, And um, there's also space for some genetic counselors who are more interested in research to be part of those um, clinical trial teams. We do have a lot of experience consenting people and discussing risks and benefits, especially when there's uncertainty, which is basically what a clinical trial is. There's a lot of uncertainty. We may not know all the risks and benefits. You know, definitely there were preclinical studies, but um, I think we are well trained to have those conversations along with a team of physicians who might be doing the trial and also researchers. But I also think more broadly, genetic counselors in clinical practice should get used to talking about gene-based therapies with their patients, because even if it's not available in their space, it might come up. So I think we should be prepared to know the science a bit and be able to answer tough questions. I've had patients straight out ask me how I feel about playing God, uh, which certainly isn't how I feel um, what's happening. But I understand for some patients, gene therapy does not feel like something that's morally acceptable to them, even the somatic-based therapies and I think we need to get comfortable having these conversations with patients where there can be some tough conversations or challenging conversations as they consider whether or not it's something that might be applicable to them or they're interested in. Yeah. Within ocular genetics, can you talk a little bit more about the reactions and attitudes from patients toward gene therapy? Is it, do you see a lot of people who are really excited or who are just like much more wary? Yeah, I I see both. I think um, in my 
initial practice when I was working at Massachusetts Eye and Ear, we did a lot of clinical trials there. And so I think patients sought us out sometimes for the access to trials or information about gene therapy. So I did see a lot of excitement. But um, in other places and through my personal life, I happen to be a guide runner for athletes with disabilities. And so I often am guide running with people who have visual impairment or blindness and so sometimes have chats with them about genetics. And so I've seen across the board, many people might feel like their vision condition or blindness is certainly not something that would they would want to be, quote, fixed or changed. And they don't see why there would need to be a gene therapy. They feel like we should instead dedicate our efforts to making society a little more easy to navigate for folks with visual impairment, whereas other people are so eager to have any sort of treatment for their vision condition that I've actually had patients, you know, start foundations to try to raise money for a cure for their particular condition because there wasn't a lot of research. So it really runs the spectrum. And I think, again, that's where genetic counselors are well suited to have those initial conversations with patients to gauge interest, especially because we're used to seeing patients react differently to the same information and make different decisions that are personal to them and help guide them through that process. Yeah. And for people who are listening, who are wondering if there might be gene therapy related to their particular area of concern, are there any resources that you would direct them to? And then also just for genetic counselors listening who don't feel like they're at all up to speed on gene therapy, are there any courses that you would recommend? I don't know if NSGC currently has any any offerings that, that you would recommend for CEUs or just more general resources for professional education too. Yeah, so broadly for resources, um, I think a place to look up a clinical trial, it's it's not particularly, it's a little clunky, but clinicaltrials.gov is the place to search for clinical trials. Um, the American Society of Gene and Cell Therapy, I think, is a great resource for both patients and providers. They have patient-facing materials. They have videos. Um, they also have a clinical trial lookup. So I think that's a great place to start. Um I'm not sure we'd have to double check if the NSGC does have any courses for genetic counselors, but I know there, like I said, there's been some student projects looking into whether or not there's a need for that. So if there aren't, maybe that will be coming soon. The other thing is genetic counselors in their own specialty, patient registries are huge in helping um Get, make clinical trials happen and give patients information. So genetic counselors and patients should be aware of the patient registries or the patient organizations as well. Those patient organizations can also try to help close these gaps in inequities. You know, it, it can be, do you like you mentioned, you have to figure out where to find the information in the first place. So sometimes these patient groups can be very helpful in getting the information to patients, letting them know that maybe they need genetic testing first before they can even figure out if they might be eligible, for example. Right. Is there a patient re- registry for ocular genetics specifically, or it's there's so many different diseases that it would be um, many different registries depending on the condition? Yeah, there is one. Um, and there's many, but there's um, there is one that's sort of broad. The My Retina Tracker, sponsored by the Foundation Fighting Blindness. That's one some of my patients have enrolled in. Um, and then I know there are some disease specific ones as well. For example, some conditions that might have other features might feel feel that it's more fitting to have a disease-specific registry. For example, for Refsum disease, there's a newly created adult Refsum disease registry. Um, so certainly, um, I think that's a good place to start. I know it wasn't quite gene therapy, but I know in the cystic fibrosis field, um, 
the recent treatments are quite exciting in that field as well. And um, patient registries were really important in getting the clinical trial participation needed for those cystic fibrosis treatment therapies. So um, I know that's a big focus among, you know, both researchers and pharmaceutical companies and patient advocacy groups to make sure there are registries. So we know when it's rare disease, you have to know where the patients are and see what they want to start. If you are a certified genetic counselor and would like to come on Genotypecast to talk about an issue related to genetics in the news, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.